0: Welcome to Disco Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon. And in this episode, we have Brett Munster, who's a principal at Sway Ventures. And we discuss breaking into VC, hiring top talent for your startup, equity splits, founder roles as a company scales, and so much more in this episode. Great to have someone who has startup experience as an operator, as well as investing experience as a VC to provide perspective for entrepreneurs out there. And we cover a lot of topics in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention just go grind. Without further ado... Here is Brett Munster, a principal at Sway Ventures. Brett, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, great to talk to you again. Yes, uh, another past person I've interviewed on a different show coming on the show now, which I'm so excited for. And with Sway Ventures, I like to provide context to people. What areas is Sway focused on? Can you give a little high-level view of uh, Sway Ventures?
1: Yeah, so we're a Series A, Series B focused fund. Uh, We're technically headquartered in San Francisco, but we've got a pretty distributed team. So I'm based here in LA. We've got folks in uh, Seattle, San Diego, and on the East Coast as well, as well as in uh, Europe. Um, So we're a pretty distributed team. Um, We typically write, you know, check sizes is three to six million on average. Although we we will flex up to eight to ten million on occasion. Um, We're currently investing out of Fund Two. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the uh, quick overview on Sway.
0: Yeah. And I want to also thank you right away for some of the intros to your portfolio companies, which has been been really fun to talk to them. I want to be like Camera IQ, for instance. Um, and I, I, there's so many different founders that you've obviously met over time. I, I'm curious for you, though, just taking a step back. Why did you want to get into VC in the first place, Brett?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Interesting story. So, um, I feel like most people's paths into VC is accidental. Um, I feel like mine was unique in that it was actually kind of purposeful. So, um, right out of college, I joined a startup, um, cause I didn't want to go work in investment banking or, uh, <laughs> in consulting. Right. And that's what, you know, early two thousands, that's what all my peers were doing. I think I knew one other person at Cal that had, um, gone out and, and joined another startup. So that was, you know, joining a startup was not cool at that point. Um, and so, and I just fell in love with the the culture, the atmosphere, um, the fast pace, you know, and the fact that I actually had uh, a real impact, right? I wasn't just some cog in the wheel. I was, you know, I was literally the first outside hire. So there was a, a founding team of three um, and I was, you know, the fourth person when I, when I joined. Um, and we ended up growing that team to, you know, almost 20 people before we sold it. Um, and I just loved, you know, having real impact. I loved um, doing everything from marketing to finance to, I mean, you know, <laughs> you've got four people, you've got to do a little bit of everything, right? I was chief janitor, right? It just, it, you do it all. Um, and, and I really liked that atmosphere. And then, so when I joined, uh, so after we sold that company, I, uh, I, you know, very naively thought I could, oh, this is easy. Uh, just start another one. Um, and, and and I say, you know, it was easy. I knew the hard work. I knew the hours, but I very much, you know, if you build it, they will come and you'll have a great out- outcome. Um, and turns out the second startup, uh, which is a different story, you know, I think we're a little too early to market and, you know, being too early is the same as being wrong. So, um, you know, that company ultimately didn't work, but that was my first exposure to venture capital. That was the first time we had gone out and raised uh, money. Um, and I remember... My first VC pitch, the first VC interview. And I don't really remember what was said in, in, in it, but I remember walking out going, How do you get that job? Because I immediately <laughs> realized if they're talking to me, they're talking to hundreds, maybe thousands of other really cool startups doing really cool things. Um, and that was always very intriguing to me. Um, and so I always had this like bug kind of in the back of my mind, like that would be a really cool job at some point. Um, and so we did. That second startup you know did that for almost two years eventually had to shut it down. We, we ended up raising a little bit of money for that and uh, got recruited to run operations and then it ended up going to B school. and while I was at business school, um, you know I was trying to figure out what do I want I wanted to get back in the early stage tech and I didn't know if I wanted to join another startup or if I didn't want if I wanted to go and investing or whatever and, and, and just kind of always kept reflecting back on you know the conversations I had with other investors and it was like that would just be a really cool job. Um I've had experiences, you know, one success, one failure at, at yeah. early stage. I think I could bring something to the table uh and help other entrepreneurs. Um and so I I, you know, started networking really hard to, to try to find my way in. And um it took a long time. I mean, it took over a year um to, to find that position and, and frankly, you know, part of it was hard work and hustle. Um, uh, but I also got really lucky. I I connected with the guys at, at Sway during my second year of business school, um, they had just launched the fund. They were, um, you know, running around with their hair on fire, trying to (laughs) do deals, raise capital, set up processes. Um, and it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, I just started helping, right. And, and, uh, didn't expect anything in return, just wanted to be helpful, um, you know, and helped out on diligence, meeting with companies, helping out some back office stuff. And, you know, one thing led to another and, uh, before actually uh, was offered a job um, before I graduated. They actually wanted me to uh, not uh, finish business school. They actually wanted me to hire, hire right away. And uh, that, was, that was the one thing I pushed back on is I, I, I wanted the degree. I'd done enough work at that point. But uh, so yeah, the, my entire second year, I ended up uh, working part-time with them, going to school. Um, and then uh, w- once I graduated, I was full-time with the, with the venture fund.
0: And there's a, a lot of questions I have with that. And one thing I want to go back to that you just mentioned is working at the startup. Uh, so you had a startup as well. How that? How has that startup experience influenced your time at Sway Ventures in terms of how you think about things or, or anything at all?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that you know. I think I have a lot of empathy, right? I understand that journey. I understand how difficult that is. I mean, the first startup I did you know, we ultimately was a pretty good success. Um, we ended up selling the company, but it, you know, it wasn't life changing money. Um, uh, and then the second one, you know, we were too early. It was a great idea. Uh, ended up, you know, being, being the right idea just at the wrong time. Um, and we ended up having to close that down. So I know that journey, I know how hard it is, um, and how difficult it is, right. When, when things aren't going the way you just figured that they would, um, and, and when customers don't quite grasp, you know, or, or you know, uh, you're not quite able to, to find that quite product market fit. Right. And, and I know and we made a ton of mistakes and <laughs> being able to kind of relay a lot of those learnings and um, experiences. Right. And I can understand and I have empathy for what founders are going through, um, you know, and, it you know, there's always something you know, you have to deal with. Right. And even if, even if the company's taking off and it's doing phenomenally well, right. There's that presents its own challenges. Right. And so there's, there's always something, you know, especially at those earlier stages that I feel like I can at least relay from my experiences.
0: With, with that journey as well. Uh, you mentioned selling the company and I'm sorry, the massive outcome, but how did you get to that point of even acquisition with the company?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, for context, this was a, a social network startup back um, when Facebook was still had the .edu address. So you had to be a student, <laughs> right? MySpace was the number one social uh, network. MySpace. Yeah. A, yeah. So, time, so Brett. back in these days, right? Um, so it was really early on the social network side. Um, ads weren't even a thing, right? Um, and we were a sports-oriented social network site. And, and our, the the key insight we had at the time was that, look, it was cool if you and me were connected, but it wasn't cool for me and mom, right? Or, or, or different generations, right? There was a stigma to that. But if you reframed it in the lens of sports, all of a sudden we were getting, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa wanting to watch little Johnny's t-ball game, right? And we actually beat Facebook to video. So we would have these like, short 30-second clips, um, terrible video quality, right, (laughs) because bandwidth wasn't great at the time. But we actually could put video up there, and that was the biggest driver of of customer acquisition for for us. And so we were generating, you know, a demographic that no other social network was getting at the time, where Facebook and MySpace was mostly college students. We had three, four generations of families um, on our website um, that lived in different places, and we'd get emails from, you know, grandpa in new york you know hey i able to actually see my you know grandson's t-ball game you know for the first time um this is amazing right and so connecting people through sports was this really powerful dynamic um at at that time that generated a demographic that just wasn't attainable for most other social networks so we were actually you know um we had a lot of uh, a lot of offers or not offers, but a lot of um, interest because yeah. we had that unique uh, characteristic to, to our social network. And then that basically is what led to a lot of the acquisition.
0: Yeah. And, and with that too, then, you know, being involved in startups, just take me through a little bit more with your thinking behind the MBA in terms of why you want to get the MBA. I know a lot of people who are in startups or are thinking about starting things like there's a lot of people that knock an MBA, but I'm curious as to what your thinking was with that.
1: Yeah, so the honest truth was, uh, I wanted to get back to early stage tech, um, and it was it was my excuse to to kind of reset my career and get back <laughs> to where I wanted to be. So after doing the second startup, I got recruited. You know, I needed a job. I got recruited to run operations for a, a financial institution, and it was a lot of fun. And I did it for two years, but definitely ran into kind of the bureaucracy, you know, larger organization, and kind of realized that's just not the place for me. Um, and so wanted to get back to early stage tech. I'm originally from Los Angeles. So going to SC was a natural choice for me. Um, and so it was coming home, coming back to where I wanted to be. And it gave me a chance to kind of reset and and, and really pursue what, what I wanted to do. Um, and, and so that was the first, that was the impetus for going in and getting my MBA. I mean, look, I think getting an MBA is, can be extremely valuable if you, you know, want if you want to change careers or if your career kind of dictates that you should have it. Um, but look, if you're a product manager at Google and you're loving, you know, that job, there's you know, no nece- reason that you necessarily have to go get an MBA. Right. And yeah. so I, I don't think an MBA is for everyone. Um, I got a lot of, you know, some of my best friends are there. Some, I got, you know, amazing network of, of people doing some really cool things. Um, not just in startups, but in other industries as well. Uh, so you know i 've got nothing but positive things to say about my experience, but i, I don 't think it 's for everyone um,
0: either yeah I mean, I agree I just want to say that it 's definitely not for everyone, uh, but if you know kind of what you want to get out of it, I think that's the most important thing and going into it with blind is not going to be a great experience necessarily i mean it 's a fun kind of two years to explore different options as well, but I think people who have somewhat of an idea of what the end game is afterwards, uh, they get a lot more out of it. And for me, it was always the network side of things. And I can speak from not having that network prior to the NBA, but being very focused and intentional with the MBA as well as the podcast on building connections. It's, it's, I mean, Offer me way more than the, the the very hefty price tag of an MBA. Uh, I've gotten a lot more value out of it from there. So if you are, yeah, interested, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: That was you know the biggest thing that you get take out. I mean, look, you, you, if you've never done marketing and you want to get into marketing, yeah, you're going to learn about the four Ps and you're going to understand a lot of the <laughs> frameworks, right? But yeah, the biggest value really is um, you know the people you go in with and in the network you build out um, during that time.
0: Yeah, and it's funny to look back on. Even this show, I could track so many people that are a direct reason, like directly from USC, uh, and whether it be from Lucas. Paul speaks in class. I talked to Lucas. Lucas, I joined his show. We, I meet you. Shout out Lucas. to Lucas. You know what I mean? Like, like that's that's what's happened through that. So it's like there's so many things are you know people who spoke in class I had on the show, and so there's a lot of things you can do with MBA. And obviously then even for you with getting to sway, it was a lot of hustle, but I imagine MBA didn't hurt you in that, in that pursuit either.
1: No, um, no, in fact, yeah, I originally got connected through uh, a professor at SC. Um, one of uh, the founding partners had gone, gotten his executive MBA at, at uh, USC. Um, and so that's how I originally got in contact with them. Uh, like I said, I just started helping out. Uh, luckily I'd done well in that professor's class um, and so, uh, she was willing to give me <laughs> a good recommendation, uh, yeah. which turned out to be key, but, uh, yeah, that, that's how I originally got connected to Sway was, was through the, you know, the Trojan network.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And one of the things I want to go back to that you mentioned, because a lot of people listening, uh, whether it be they're entrepreneurs or even if they're trying to get into, into VC, I want to talk more through that that phase of how you hustled for a year to to break in. Because whether people are an entrepreneur or a VC, I think hearing these stories of what it takes to break into whatever you want to do is important. What were some of those things you're doing through that year to actually get the role its way?
1: Yeah, um, I made a, a ton of mistakes, right? I, I I took a very entrepreneurial approach, right? Because... Um, you know, at in any business school, right, they're gonna you know bring in a lot of companies and stuff, but they don't bring in venture right like that's that's not a track that they help recruit for. So I was kind of on my own on that. And so you know, I did the thing I think everyone tries to do is you know, you email and you you call or whatever, you just, hey, can I get you know coffee with you for a half hour or something right? And um quickly got, you know, realized real quickly, that that was not a good approach, and, and the reason <laughs> was is look, and it's it's not because. And, and sitting on this side of the table now, I, I totally get it, and, and I yeah. just like I cringe it at, at you know some of the things I did originally, um, make you know just some of the mistakes. But look, the, we're pre, you know we've got a lot of time demands on it, right? We've got you know our portfolio companies we want to help. We've got um, new investments that we're looking at. We've got LPs that we've got to you know keep happy and, and keep updated. Um, there's back office stuff to just running a venture fund, right. Running a business. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that kind of just takes up a lot of our time. And, and frankly, you know, meeting with someone, you know, in grad school, I try to do it as much as I can cause I want to give back. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's on the, it's on the lower priority side, uh, frankly. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Um, and so if all you're doing is asking for more time from someone, um, that's a hard ask versus what I realized is, oh, if they're time constrained, let me give back some of their time. Let me do something to be actually valuable that can help them um, and let me provide value. And so, you know, I started, you know, a great thing you can do is if you know, if you're in a you know you're in college and you're trying to network in is you should know every startup coming out of your college, right? And and, and provide a network of startups um that that vc doesn't exactly have right that's a yeah. great way to show value um hey i know you invest in fintech well there's a really interesting young fintech company i think you'd be interested in here's what they do let me know if you'd like an intro to the founder that's a very different conversation than hey i'd love to grab 30 minutes and coffee with you um i'd also started you know thinking through of like areas that i really was was interested in and and you could start putting up you know write up one to two, you know, relatively concise, uh, ideas on, you know, what's going on in that market. Right. And and maybe you have a unique perspective. Um, I'm sure you, for example, have a very unique perspective of what's going on and how you build communities and podcasting and, and that whole, uh, you know, media area. Right. And so if you were looking to get in VC, I'd be like, look, you should be writing, you know, some thought pieces on that and just send them out. Right. Because, you know, we as VCs, like, we think we're going to turn down free information. No way. Right. Um, And if you write something that's, you know, unique, has a little bit different perspective, has, you know, some good insight. Now all of a sudden you've provided me value. Now I'm much more interested in, um, you know, potentially meeting with you. Right. And you've, trust me, you have differentiated yourself between, you know, the hundreds of other asks we've had um, from other, you know, people wanting to grab coffee with us. So you're, you're providing value. You're showing your differentiation. Right. And, and so I started taking those type of approaches. Um, and you know, it was, I got a lot better reception. Um, yeah. as soon as I took that approach, uh, and, and frankly, like you just, you know, sitting on this side, I, I don't get that on my, like, I, I don't think I've ever gotten an email saying, Hey, I'm from X college. Uh, I know XYZ founders, I know you in, you know, you invest in, you know, a certain space like if you'd ever, you know, I think this would be an interesting fit, happy to make an intro. Like that's how you get on our good side. That's how you like open our eyes. Um if if you really want to break into the to the industry, um most jobs, I mean the secret of this is most jobs in the industry I don't think are gotten via, you know, hey, I sent in my application <laughs> yeah. and they're looking to hire, you know, maybe an analyst or the, you know, level but like my job, my role didn't, they created my role for me. And I, um, my job didn't exist. I basically started, uh, you know, I, I was able to, you know, finagle my way in a little bit and, and start working with them and just provided value. Like I said, I was doing, you know, market research. I was uh, helping to evaluate deals. I was doing whatever I could on the back office, right, just to, to give them some time back. And once I started doing that, you know, I don't think they wanted to go back to a world without me because I was (laughs) cleaning them up to do a lot of the much, much more higher leverage stuff that they should be doing anyways. Right. Um, and that's how I started. Um, and you know, they, they didn't want to lose that. And they, they found that so valuable that they offered me a position. Like they, they never, I never interviewed at Sway. Right. It was, (laughs) I just started working with them and, and. I thought that was unique or rare. And, and the more I've talked to, you know, a lot of my peers, that's actually more the norm um, than it is, you know, hey, I, you know, sent in my application and, and I somehow made it through out of one of a thousand, you know, applications and got the job. Like that doesn't happen very often in this industry.
0: Yeah, and I love what you mentioned there about differentiating and also whether it be writing a thought piece or something around that. I look, I, I just like thinking back literally to, the last four major things in my life, which would be Coefficient Labs, the MBA, helping out with Spark, with Lucas Poles, uh, my role at Clark Toys, all of those came informally because of work I put out. Literally all of those. Because the MBA, like I got a partial scholarship because for entrepreneurship because of some of the things I had worked on. Uh, and that was a big piece for me even getting into B-School, I think was that. And the, all these other roles as well came about from producing some content, working on interesting things, and then good things happen from that. And whether it be breaking into, you know, VC or finding a co-founder or whatever it may be, I think putting yourself out there in that capacity and being intentional about what you want from it as well, uh, can really go a long way. Obviously with your story, it showcases that exactly. Yeah, I love and, that
1: approach. And, and, and anyone that, you know, wants to get into VC, right. It, you know, one, you know, is this really the job you want to do, right? There's, there's a lot more than goes into it <laughs> than what you see, you know, uh, Um, from the outside, but, but two, if, if that really is what you want to do, yeah, take that approach. I I love that versus, you know, trying to just send in your application or, or try to, you know, quote unquote network, right. By grabbing coffee with someone like that. That's a tough way to, that it doesn't, it's not going to yield the same kind of results.
0: Yeah, and I think any entrepreneur or anyone trying to break into VC as well. One book called "The Third Door." I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Brett. Um, I have not it, read it. No, it's really it's it's phenomenal. Uh, this guy basically interviews some of the top like icons in the world over a course of uh, many years, and he wrote a book about it. Alex Banyan. Bar- he's a USC grad actually, uh, undergrad and. The book is really showcasing how there's always another another route to go in careers or in business or whatever. I mean, there's always a different thing, the third door, where it's like you can go to the front and go to the back, or you go on the side. You find this other kind of way to break in. And I think for people starting companies being scrappy, trying to think of ideas, trying to find customers, it can be applied to whether it be like customer acquisition channels potentially, whether it be finding interesting uh, moats you can create around your company and in the world of VC, even breaking into VC, that idea is is really useful. And I Belsack, who's on the podcast uh, maybe episode 20 something I think he had mentioned for careers looking at how how can you create a project for someone else that then gives you an in at the company versus just applying like if you interview five people at a company find out what their challenges are make a project around that it gives you a much higher leg up than anyone else trying to get a role at that company especially yeah. for things that are competitive like
1: Absolutely. how do you stand
0: out you know and that's something I just want to kind of hammer home and standing out in that role for trying to break into VC, but then even with your companies as well. And and on the note of you mentioned people if understanding if they want to even break into VC, I just want to go through, like, what are some of the things you, you work on day to day? And then even looking at the craziness because of the pandemic that you have had to work on as well, Brett?
1: Yeah. So, you know, even during normal times, right? Day to day is very different. Um, and it depends on the time of year. It depends on what we've got going on. So, um, you know, like I said, part of my job is, you know, sourcing deals. Part of it is running the diligence process. Part of it is executing the transactions. Part of it is working with our portfolio companies. Um, I I currently sit on one board. Uh, I sat on another one, uh, but that company sold. So I'm I'm down to one board at this point. Um, But then there's, you know, investor relations and reporting, right? Um, There's fundraising and supporting that there is just back office, you know, with audits and, and actually, you know, running a venture fund and um, making sure all that, you know, the, the wheels stay on the track. Um, and so from week to week, day to day, um, it can vary, right? There's times where we'll have, you know, four or five you know, companies that, you know, we're, we're in diligence process on that, you know, and I'm spending the vast majority of my time, you know, cause I'm, you know, intimately involved with a lot of those diligence processes, running those parallel uh, processes with whoever, you know, the the lead partner is on our firm. And so that'll take up a lot of time. Other times, maybe we don't have a deal that's that, you know, pregnant and, and we'll, we'll, I'm spending more time sourcing, or I'm spending a lot more time uh, with portfolio companies. Um, you know, usually, you know, at the at the start of the year, right? There's we've got our audit and, and annual reporting that we've got to get out to LPs. That sucks up a ton of time. So January is usually a, you know, a time where I spend a lot more on the back office, right? And so, yeah. um, it's it's it varies from day to day, week to week. Um, that's part of one thing I love about the job is it's never the same, and I can, um, I, I'm I operate better when I got you know bunch of different things going on rather, you know, if I had to come in and do the same thing over and over every day, like that's just not me. Um and so, you know, the, it's one of the the cool things about the job is is but it changes. And, and so I don't I don't know how to say like, oh this is my day, right? <laughs> like um and then you know when the pandemic hit, you know, I think us along with you know most other venture funds, right, in, in March and April really turned inward and, and focused on our our current portfolio. Um, And it was a lot of work of, you know, how much runway do you have? What happens if you're impacted, you know, 10%, 25%, 50%? What if it goes to zero, right, on your revenue? Um, What would that mean for runway? What would that mean for, uh, you know, do you need to cut? Do we need to cut back on marketing spend? Do we need to, you know, downsize the company? Like, there was a lot of work that we modeled out and we got out in front of that. With um, and it was great because you know we spent you know weeks doing that with every one of our portfolio companies, um, and you could tell like you know, the most experienced entrepreneurs had already done that. It was like okay, cool, we're you know in the same, we're on the same page, uh, yeah. we're roughly in the same ballpark, and you could have those conversations. Other you know less experienced ones were like, wait, you think it could be that bad? And you had to kind of have a different conversation with them. Um, and it was all right. Who we don't know, right? And and all right, here are the different contingency plans. And, and so we spent a lot of time working with our portfolio companies, and I think a lot of them, you know, came out of this, you know, in, in a good place. Um, you know, I think we're f- partly fortunate. We didn't invest a whole lot in the travel space, right, or, or something that, you know, got, you know, really hit hard. Um, but a lot of our companies were able to make those adjustments. Um, we had some hard conversations. Um, but it was a lot of work with the portfolio companies, right? And then there was the whole PPP thing and trying to figure out that and that changed on a weekly basis, you know, who could apply, what were the rules, all that. So there was a ton of uncertainty with that too. So um, yeah, it was just, it it was a lot of work for, you know, three, four months of just really shoring up a lot of our portfolio companies. Um, And, you know, we take great pride that I think he came out the other side, generally speaking, in, in a pretty good position. Um, and, and then now we're, you know, after that, now we're turning back outward, right? And we're, we're starting to look at more deals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's good to hear that kind of context of what you went through for that covid times i was curious for different venture funds and like how they're managing that situation because obviously their companies it's a mix right some are struggling some are having the best months ever because of the situation so it's a mix of those things but uh diving a little bit deeper into helping portfolio companies so the pvp was a big part of that during this kind of covid time what are some other things you're you're seeing or that you challenges that startups kind of typically have that you're helping them with at sway uh you
1: know hiring has always been you know across the board, regardless of industry, regardless of stage, uh, hiring's always seems to be, um, you know, one of the top priorities or, or top challenges, right? There's um, there's not enough talent. Um, there is, uh, you know, everyone's trying to compete with Google, Facebook, so the world, right? Um, and trying to, you know, they can't offer the same comp packages, right? So how do you, right. you know how do you either incentivize through stock or how do you find this top talent and convince them to come over with you? Right. And, you know, that's one thing we, you know, I love to look for is, you know, can you punch above your weight class when it comes to recruiting and and hiring? Um, That's a skill, right? That's, that's an important one. Can If you can surround yourself with top teams, that's something I definitely look for in in founders because, you know, hiring's always been, um, you know, a real challenge, um, especially once you start to get to a certain size right you know maybe early on really early on you might know two or three engineers that you worked with previously and they're good friends and they can come over and that's great but at at some point right you're gonna (laughs) that you hit a wall um and different people you know will kind of hit that wall at different times um and it's how do you then you know up level the the talent or the management team how do you continue to build out the organization um and, and so a lot of those you know hiring. Decisions and practices is is I would say probably the most common one across all of our portfolio companies.
0: Yeah, I actually, just interviewed uh, Rick Smith. His episode's coming out soon. Well, actually, by the time this is live, it'll be out there. Um, but he was mentioning the same thing around, around hiring in terms of that being the biggest issue. And in terms of companies, you know, punching above the weight class per se with bringing on talent, how do you see them doing it? Or are any any particular companies that stand out that have been able to really bring in top talent, and maybe why do you think that is?
1: Yeah. Um I'll I, I'll talk about I guess the company I'm on the board of a, a company yeah. based here in LA, Applied VR. Um, they're just mission driven, right? They are uh, I think you had Matthew on the on the I show. I did, yeah, Matthew Stout. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to Matthew. Uh if you haven't <laughs> listened to this, you want to go uh listen to a really cool uh company founder, you know, actually changing the world and changing yeah. people's lives. Um yeah, go check out that episode. But um, you know, it's that mission, right, that I think really drives a lot of people. I mean, we've made some, you know, unbelievable hires. Um, a lady from Stanford uh, named Beth Darnell, who's one of, you know, the top probably five pain psychologists in the world is is on staff with us. Um, that doesn't happen if it's not, you know, we're, we don't have the capital to pay her millions of dollars a year, right? That only right. happens because it's mission driven and Matthew and, and Josh do a phenomenal job of, creating a, a company, um, with just awesome culture and awesome values and, um, really impacting lives. Right. So I, you know, having that mission, being able to articulate it, uh, goes a long way. Um, and so it's, it really is, you know, how do you sell, you know, this generation of, of workers on your mission and. in, in do they align? Right. And, and it's a lot of it is more than just money and comp, right. It's, are they going to be proud to work there? Um, are they going to be excited about coming to work every day? Um, if you can convince someone that that's the case, right. And, you know, hopefully that this company is going to be a rocket ship and, you know, the equity will be worth a lot in the future. Um, you've got to be able to sell that story. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's if, if all you're trying to do is, is get people based on, you know, comp and salary and uh, financial incentives, you're going to have a hard time, um, you know, recruiting against because you're just not gonna be able to compete with, you know, the, the fangs
0: of the world. <laughs> Yeah, there's just no way you you can on on comp alone. And I think what you mentioned there is so important having that mission behind it. And I look at a number of companies, the founders I've interviewed on this show who who have been able to attract top talent. There's something there's something to that mission, and also like how they tell the story around it is so so important. And I just uh, had on today actually uh, Jelani Memory from a, a kids book about who he had actually previous company Circle Media raised thirty plus million dollars. Uh, now his company with a kids book about having stories for kids around racism, around uh, like so many different topics that are kind of difficult to talk about. And because of that though, because of what they're doing and how impactful they are, I mean, they've sold like 150,000 books in the last year yeah, and nice ra- raised some venture and they're going to do a few million in revenue this year. And they're just like crushing it. And I think they've been able to build the team around it and get people t- to buy in because of that mission. And that's actually a reason why I'm looking at getting involved as well with them uh, because I like, I love what they're doing. And that, people want to come join things that are doing that you mentioned apply vr and they're doing such amazing things that like you can't help but want to get involved if possible in something like that yep and and one of the things too, uh, going a little bit deeper. So hiring is a huge, a huge part of it, obviously, uh, in terms of helping startups uh, in the early stages. I know you, you mentioned kind of investing Series A, Series B, but is there anything you've seen around uh, things with equity splits or founder agreements or kind of roles, responsibilities that can be helpful for other entrepreneurs out there?
1: Uh, yeah, around equity. I mean, look, this one, this is a tough subject, right? And, and there really is no one size fits all, right? There, there isn't yeah. a magic silver bullet with this. Um, Ultimately, I think it's mo- more important that the conversation be had up front and, and had canonly among the founders. Um, and it's not just assumed, uh, oh, it'll be split evenly, or um, you know, maybe I've got more, whatever. You know, just you, you've got to have that conversation uh, just up front and, and and really, you know, be on the same page there. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be split evenly, right? And it, We see, you know, very common that it's not an equal split um but regardless of whatever you decide upon just everyone needs to be uh on the same page and and fully on board with whatever you decide right otherwise it's gonna fester some some ill will later on and, and that does you know surface you know over time um the other thing you would i i'd say and Founders maybe don't always want to hear this, but it's really in their best interest is, is around vesting, right? And if you're a founder, you absolutely want you and your co-founder's shares to, to vest over a period of time. Um, the last thing you want if someone leaves or decides to walk away is to take all their shares with them, right? And <laughs> not only will you feel like that's totally unfair, you know, you're doing all those work, yet they have the same ownership as you or whatever – um but it's also going to make it harder for you to to recruit because they're going to walk away with a chunk of equity that you can't then you know offer to someone else to replace them. Yeah. Um and so either you're going to have less equity to to offer or you're going to have to up the option pool which is more dilution that you otherwise will not have taken, right? And so, you know, the the two things like I said is really get on the same page and and everyone buy in and and have that conversation up front. And then two, you know, you want vesting on that because it protects you, it protects the company um and it's you know you know founders don't always want to have it right they they want all their shares available to them immediately, but um it really is in your best interest and the company's best interest to to put a vesting schedule in place
0: and and just to go a little bit more on the the founder side of things, is there anything else around? founder issues that they have anything that looking out for you know communication best practices anything that you've seen that may be helpful that for other founders for you know maybe teams that have done a really good job on on their culture within even their founders themselves anything with that as well brett
1: yeah i think you know as a company grows right the the job changes um you know one of the analogies i always love and you know i played sports so you know early on you're you're a player right you're actually on the field you're you're making plays you're you're in the weeds you're doing it and then at, at some point you become the coach right and you're no longer um, on the field but you're you've got a bunch of players playing for you right that you are now coaching you are now um, putting in the best position you know as the company continues to scale further you become the general manager right you start you know thinking more about okay, I need to hire this. And I'm thinking two, three years down the line. And um, eventually you become the owner, right? And you're basically just overseeing the whole operation. And and so the roles change over time as the company scales. And which means, you know, just because you were good, you know, early on doesn't mean you're gonna be good at as you go on, right? That takes something you can learn. I think people can learn it. I think they can get good at it. But I think it takes a willingness and an understanding and self-awareness to know that, hey, if the job's changing. I need to learn a new skill set, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I think the most common is, you know, an early technical founder um, that is a great at coding, great at building product. But as the company grows, that you stop actually building the product, with, right? <laughs> You're, you yeah. you start managing people. You start building an in- you hire. You spend time hiring more people than you actually are coding. Um, you spend time building the the engineering team. Um, you're maybe making high level product decisions, but you're not the one in the weeds building it. And that's a tough transition. Um, and I think you know sometimes there's friction between founders where um, you know the company grows and, and maybe one founder grows along with it and the other one wants to keep coding or wants to keep doing that role, even though that's not what's needed of them and And so do you need to bring in a you know a more seasoned CTO over that founder at times, right? That's a tough conversation to have. Yeah. Um, and that's not an easy answer. It, it could be right, but but you know, founders need to grow as the business grows as well, and and that means new skills and and, and, and new roles. And um, I think it's being really honest and, and again self aware that um, as the company changes, right, what is needed, what the company needs from you changes. Um, and you know, look, if there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in the weeds and, and building the product, that's awesome. But then that needs to be your role, um, and then maybe you need to bring someone in um, who is better at, you know, hiring and building the the, the engineering organization. And that's just one example, right? So yeah. um, sometimes you get that tension between founders just because the company grows and, and like things change.
0: Yeah, and that's something that it's so difficult as you go from the early days oh, to so scaling. And, <laughs> like, and it's especially tough to that. know
1: when that is, right? It's, it's not just yeah. clear. It's not like you wake up one day and it just all of a sudden a flip switches, right? It just well, yeah. It, it it evolves, and it's it. Yeah, it's it's not easy to deal with, and it's not easy to to figure out, um, but it does happen.
0: And even looking at, uh, some of the, I'm thinking about some of the people I've had on the show as well, going from sometimes like the early, those early days to hitting some type of inflection point or something happens where then you have to scale rapidly and you understand that like, okay, we can do these kind of one-off things, but then how do you have the repeatability as you're scaling and then building, you know, getting the team behind it to then have that repeatability from a customer acquisition standpoint, from an operation standpoint. And that really changes, uh, when you grow farther, even people going from kind of the initial early raise with, with maybe angel investors to them progressing to uh, a seed, the series A, a series B, like everything kind of evolves. And then as founders, like, it, you have to evolve as well. Otherwise Absolutely. you're not going to be there uh, any longer. And you see where people bring in seasoned uh, season C. sometimes their companies as well, where the mm-hmm. founders are just not at that point. The good uh, news is, is I do think it can be learned, right? I do think yeah. it,
1: it it takes a willingness and a self-awareness to, to realize that the job's evolving and changing and that you need to evolve and change along with it. The good news is it's, to, you know, it it's not like it's uh, not learnable, right? It, it it is definitely doable. It just it, it just takes a conscious effort to meet that you want to do that.
0: Is there anything from a resource perspective or books you suggest or community or any, anything like you suggest to entrepreneurs who are kind of going through that and knowing that like you guys need to learn? More? Is there anything that's been helpful you think for them?
1: Yeah, you know, I I don't know if I found anything on that. I think the closest I've come. Might be uh, Ben Horowitz's "Hard Things About Hard Things." Um, yeah. I mean that's just a great book on what it's really like to go through, right? And 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 uh, be the CEO um, and have things change, right? And and not always because of anything you did wrong, right? The market just changes, right? And it wasn't, yeah. you know, anything you did. Um, that's an awesome book for founders that are already in it. Um, you know, they're you know, if if you've never been a founder and you're just starting. Um, you know, maybe not, you know, there, there might be a couple other books that are a little bit more, uh, that I think we might address, you know, where you're at, you know, but, yeah. whereas I think hard things of hard things is like, you know, I've been a CEO for a couple years. I'm in the thick of it. Um, and you know, that's, that's been, you know, such a great book.
0: Yeah, I think it's been recommended uh, numerous times because it is yep. that phenomenal. I mean, it's it is. I've read it a couple times actually now, and it, it's uh, it's great. And he has another, he has a couple other another book. As yeah, he well, just came I
1: out think. with a new one too. That that's that's very good on culture.
0: Yeah, yeah. What you do is who you are. I think yep. that's what it's called. Um, and, and I'm just curious from uh, just stepping back to I know we talked a little bit about kind of your roles as a as a VC, and some of the things that you're working on. Uh, how do you kind of manage? All these different relationships with founders, with seeing new deals, and just managing your time and prioritizing on like a day-to-day basis. Because I, I imagine it's difficult, and you're saying no to some, a lot of things. You're saying yes to some things. How do you kind of think through that process, Brett?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a constant challenge. Um, I, you know, I'm aii I'm a list guy, right? Like I. <laughs> For me, it helps to visualize what I need to get done on a daily or weekly basis. So I literally, you know, hey, here are the things that need to get done. And then I can start to um, prioritize, right? Hey, I know this has to get done by this time. And uh, and I I can start to actually like write it all down and I can start to manipulate it to where, okay, here's what I got to get done today. Here are uh, things that absolutely have to get done. Here are things that, you know, i might like to get done. Maybe maybe can, (laughs) maybe will, maybe won't. and so for me, it's always been, and I don't know if this is the most efficient or best, but it's, it's what works for me. Um, I'm just a visual person. And so when I, you know, can see it all laid out, I can then start to organize it. And then I can, and then I also love just checking stuff off. So like,
0: um, <laughs> yes,
1: you know, too, yeah,
0: it's yeah, an addiction, <laughs> it
1: is, it is. So like, once I see it, it's on there. Cool. I can go and like, there's something satisfying about, okay, right, cool. I got that done. Check On to the next thing. Right. And so, yeah. um, I don't, you know, it's, I don't have a, you know, Preset description of I want to spend twenty five percent of my time doing X and thirty percent doing Y, only because the, like I said the 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 priorities change depending you know week to week you know their time of year or whatever it is, um, and so I don't have like a set thing where I want to hit, but it it really is like just all right, what, what do I need to prioritize? You know, and some weeks are just crazier than others and I've got to prioritize and I've got to say no to others. Other times I might have a little bit more flexibility and I can say yes to other things. Um, and so that allows me, you know, making the list just has always allowed me to visualize that, um, and stay on point.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, if I look at my desk right now, I'm on, there's a massive list to the left. There's a list to the right. There's little (laughs) sticky notes on top of the computer. Uh, i have to have the visual as well it's just like the only way to kind of keep all the thoughts that are you know keep them organized so you can prioritize because there's a lot of things that can fall through especially when i imagine in your role is a lot of things you're seeing it's kind of similar just in terms of the not of like people i'm talking to whether it be podcast guests or partnerships and there's like a lot of things where you don't want to have something fall through the cracks
1: Uh,
0: and that's something i always kind of think about as well uh with with that and where can people go to learn more about Sway and then uh, connect with you, which I know as a VC is interesting uh, as well, Brett?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can check out our website, it's swayvc.com. Um, uh, you can also check me out on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm on there a lot. I, I don't know if I tweet a ton. It's, it, Twitter's always been a great tool to connect with people and kind of keep a pulse on the industry i'm not i'm not the you know biggest content producer but <laughs> i i do absorb a lot of content on twitter um yeah. and then uh yeah so those are probably maybe the two best ways and then uh email me as well uh email is brett b-r-e-t-t uh, at swayvc.com um Those are probably the best ways uh to get in touch
0: perfect brett thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today man
1: My my pleasure thanks for having me
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week. I deliver it right to you jiscogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.